0: (laughs) as business owners entrepreneurs family men it's difficult for us to find the time to pay men projects like these even though it's something we really want to do unfortunately taking care of the things we have to take care of comes first however because of viewer support for people like you we're able to continue doing this please consider joining our Patreon and supporting the Burn and Return podcast return a weekly one-hour podcast covering news from the agricultural and turfgrass industries uh with the dj scratch that means we're live i i just want to take the uh the intro of this week's episode to uh to highlight something that happened on our previous stream uh we had uh someone by the name of uh uh Brian call in. Uh I don't know if I can use his last name or not, but it was Whalen. And um and he <laughs> he called in and uh and he asked if this was the show for uh uh, uh trans uh Gender, homosexual lawn, lawn care. Uh yeah. And then he he used the uh the F word as a as a homophobic slur in there and uh and so i wanted to kick off today's episode is is that i uh, there's there's a couple of things here is that if you if you notice the thumbnail uh you're gonna see a very a very we're here and we're queer thumbnail uh <laughs> just just to throw handfuls of excrement at you brian uh and then and then the second thing is that i kind of wanted to go on a little bit of a of a a, a tirade because this guy, this, this guy, genuine, genuinely believes, uh, in, in whatever political sphere he lives in. I, I promise it's on the, on the conservative side of the political sphere. And, uh, and I, I want to just point out some insanity here that this guy lives in, in this, in this weird kind of quasi world that he thinks calling into a lawn care show is going to further his conquest that he's out there. Uh, first... One of the things you will hear talked about on this lawn care show a lot is about regulations and our own personal opinions of where they stay on that. You're going to hear all kinds and that can point us in different uh, areas of the the political spectrum. On the flip side of that is that, uh, Brian, I'm sure you think you are a conservative and you have zero clue what that means and the reason why is that you're probably cheerleading on Whoever that's in uh, uh, Congress right now that's working hard on that debt ceiling deal for you, and you know, you want to know what your conservative debt ceiling people did? Uh, they lifted the debt ceiling until 2025 because no one, no one, the Republicans and the Democrats do not give a shit about you. None of them are conservative, none of them are fiscally conservative. It's all a mind game to manipulate people like you to get it into your brain that you need to call into a lawn care show to start some kind of weird culture war with some grass guys. And if that doesn't point out the weird borderline personality disorder and the the, the remaining PTSD from whoever molested you as a child, I apologize that happened to you. I'm genuinely sorry that someone did something terrible to you and you are still harboring ill feelings for it. I get it. There's lots of people out there that are suffering as a result of that. It is a it is it is a, a crime that that happened to you. However, however, the the fact that you still hold on to it and have to call into a lawn care show to spill whatever it is that doesn't exist here but does exist in your brain because you just recently got your master gardener certificate on may the 15th from wayne county agriculture uh uh, congratulations to you from the nc state extension office but i promise that means nothing it means absolutely nothing your master gardener certificate i could wipe my ass with crumple it up into a sheet of paper put it on the fire in my backyard because it means zero to me buddy brian whalen you wouldn't last 15 fucking seconds in my place of business you couldn't last 15 fucking seconds in any of the businesses i've ever worked for you wouldn't make it in lawn care you couldn't run an aerator on one of my crews you couldn't make it on one of demay's crews and if you were on ray's crews you'd probably catch a fucking trident somewhere to your midsection <laughs> So I want to repeat that you, sir, can go fuck yourself, stay the fuck away from our show. And, uh, and I, and if, if, if something, if, uh, I can't say that, <laughs> no, you can't, can't say that. Uh, that one I couldn't say. Cause it was, uh, let's was, go to the bullpen. Bad bad All right. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, bleep button there. And, uh, but anyway, I just Woo. want you to know that, uh, I genuinely hate you as a, as a human being. Uh, i think you're spineless i think you're soulless uh i've reached out to your brother by the way uh by the way congratulations to him on his uh on his uh, uh second child right. and, uh, and 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 uh, thank you i want to thank you brian to share this message with your brother to tell him i said thank you for your service uh because uh w- one of the things we have highlighted on here are the service people that are are, are assets to our industry and uh, and hopefully he can be one of those people that could be an asset since clearly you are a fucking detriment to society, right? You offer nothing in the form of anything. I looked at your resume. It's basically shit. Uh, congratulations on your criminal justice degree. I bet you feel like a real scholar earning that. And, uh, and what's even more fascinating is your background in STEM education. STEM education. With a STEM education, you think somewhere in your created script going on in your head that you needed to call into a lawn care show called thirsty thursday where we have beers and we talk about grass and share whatever drivel completely made up psychopathy borderline personality schizophrenic uh imaginative hallucination on our show go fuck yourself and i mean that from the absolute bottom of my heart you sir him. fuck off uh with that said uh how about we check out this week's headlines eat all them balls did I, brian did I, yeah did it did it come across correctly did
1: i did i get it did i get it right
2: i believe you did matt i really believe
3: you I did you,
1: <laughs> i think you can sum it up in in the way that you know brian hey around here are mouth to mouth and you know what you can eat a dick all right now our first headline where are we at here uh, oh yeah i've i didn't even yeah, have yeah. them pulled up i was just oh i'll go, go into for, the first one here uh, companies to pay billions in forever chemical water pollution settlements oh it's gonna get bad boys uh this is the first this is gonna be philip morris 2.0 a 3m manufacturing facility <laughs> in cottage grove minnesota in 2018 this is the uh the big picture of it there major chemical producers have agreed to pay billions of dollars to settle claims from U.S. water providers over toxic, quote unquote, forever chemicals uh, and pollution. Uh, this is an Axios article, so it's why it matters. Okay. The settlements are a significant step forward in the effort to reduce potentially dangerous chemicals in the water system across the country. They also follow the EPA's tightening regulations on per and polyfluoroalkyl substances, PFAS, which are a family of more than 12,000 chemicals, of which right now, this is editorial, this is my comment, the EPA only really cares about 30, but all twelve thousand were pretty fucking bad. So just keep that in mind. Yeah. The chemicals have contaminated thousands of drinking water systems around the country, and most people living in the United States have some amount of PFOS in their blood, according to the CDC. Health effects of the chemicals are still being studied, but exposure of to certain kind of PFOS have linked to adverse health effects in humans and animals, including increased risk for kidney and testicular cancer. Hear that, Brian, testicles. Hmm. Uh Chomp Chomp. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Uh, there's uh, let's see here. Kemers, DuPont and Corteva said Friday, they reached a $1.19 billion settlement with water providers around the country. Water pro- providers had alleged that the companies were responsible for the environmental pollution from firefighting foams they manufactured for th- that contained PFAS. Though the companies deny the allegations, the settlement would resolve hundreds of lawsuits against them that were consolidated into a federal district court for South Carolina. Which must finalize the settlement for it to take effect. All right. So, uh, you know, they're, they're talking about basically these, uh, these water systems. They go on to talk about, uh, you know, the adverse effects and how they're going to get things back. But, uh, fellas, I, I, I took out a little bit of issue with the way the article was written. Does this really stop what's already happened? I mean, you, you, maybe people will get wise and, and start to clean these things up, but 12,000 different PFOS compounds that we know about currently. Again, the EPA is only testing for 30 of them that they're really, mm-hmm. I don't even know where, where they set it in on this 30. That'd be a good topic for us to dive into in a future show. But why only 30 out of 12,000? I'm not sure. Maybe those are what's just been studied and known to cause human uh, health effects. But does, does this change anything? Let me ask. Does 1.19 no, billion.
0: Look, look this, is, this is exactly what I'm talking about, right? Like, uh, uh, okay. What we, where we have shifted as a culture is that fear is the motivator for everything, right? And, and what everyone loves is a good uh, 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 bloodletting, right? And so all this is is a bloodletting where, where we can point at a corporation and say, you are the boogeyman. We bloodletted you and ha-ha-ha. But it doesn't really solve the underlying problem, right? It's like the whole argument with glyphosate. We'll scare the holy shit out of you about it. We'll sue the holy hell out of Bayer. We'll drag them through the mud, and we'll talk about uh, uh, World War II Germany and Bayer was a was a German company, and uh, and and they were willing participants in the Holocaust. And that's where glyphosate come from, and that's why they're trying to kill us all. Ah, you know, here's here's your twenty five billion dollar loss that you lost, but in reality. It's not really solving anything, right? You know, if Bayer's going to pay that off, and the, 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 evidence, the body of evidence with glyphosate isn't even there anyway for for them to be going after them, but it's a boogeyman that gets painted into this corner and they have to pay their way out. Here's another one. It's another boogeyman. They get painted in the corner. They're going to pay their way out, but we're not really doing anything about the underlying issues. That as a society is a problem that we operate in right now. It's a major, major problem. So while this may make whoever feel good about it, your average, you know, 50% of, of people are going to feel great about it. Uh, the
1: rest of us in the real world are going to look at it and be like, okay,
0: but what are we going to do?
1: Exactly, the damage has already been done. The bell can't be unrung. So, one point one nine billion dollars. I'm trying to figure out where money solves this issue. And I go back to and I said the Philip Morris thing because, you know, okay, hey, there's obviously there. You know, in those cases, right? I don't know if they're for that that there's going to be this massive health crisis down the road because of PFAS. right? So. You know, all that tobacco money got distributed to the states, Ray, so that they could pay, mm-hmm. you know, increase in increased Medicaid coverage and things like that for all the people that were ripping cigs, right? And certainly that's gone yep. down, right, over the last twenty years or whatever. But are we going to look back twenty years from now and be like, "Hey, man, you remember when they settled and cortiva and all those guys and Dupont settled back in '23, and now everybody there, there's there's less PFOS being consumed in the in in water systems? I don't think that's going to happen. I just like I don't think so hot. I
2: don't think so either. I don't think so either, because you see, PFAS is not only in the drinking water, PFAS is in the oil and waterproof papers that are used to wrap processed and packaged foods. Mm. Okay, so that's that's not the only water's not the only place. However, uh I can tell you for me. Uh, in my own state, while I'm waiting for my useless fucking government to finish pointing fingers at the relevant parties, uh, I went out and I put my drinking water on a reverse osmosis system. Okay? Because all of the lawsuits, accusations, regulations, whatever, are not going to get this PFAS out of the drinking water. It's already there. Uh, my question is, since this is fact, what can we do to moving forward, ensure that people consume as little as possible of this. And, uh, like for myself, you know, I was on the zoom the other night and, uh, somebody noticed, Hey Ray, you're talking to us. And, you just consumed about 64 ounces of water oh. <laughs> well and that's like about half of, half of my daily consumption so so there. i just think
1: that it's it's a probably going to be if it's not already a massive public health crisis right over the long term playing out in very super slow motion but here's the thing is that we've just discovered this or have uh paid mine to it right it's been going mm-hmm. on for a long fucking time right so you can sit there and say whatever you want about it but 1.1 $1. $1. $1 billion dollars bottom line doesn't change anything matt anything different to say uh nope. him. uh yeah and uh, take us into this next one too about the uh the solar presentation Ooh, this is, this is interesting This is an interesting topic i want to get some takes on you but Uh, i thought this was a good one to kind of highlight a little bit of what's going on here at least in the midwest right so uh out of escanaba michigan michigan state university extension bioenergy educator charles gold gold was in escanaba tuesday to speak on how agricultural practices and solar developments can coexist but his presentation was met with hostility from a vocal group of residents that's opposed to all forms of utility scale solar projects right so these are solar panels that are being put up in, in farmland areas, rural areas, right, with uh, the idea of, of green energy behind it. All right, so the article continues. Quote, I'm coming from the standpoint that land should never be used exclusively for solar power production. So what I mean by that is that we don't put solar arrays out just to harvest the sun's energy for power production. That land is too valuable, said Gould, who comes from a dairy farming background. Gould presented four primary ways that solar farms can be used in conjunction with solar power generation, ways that enhance both practices. The first agricultural practice he discussed was grazing and forage production. So main benefit for grazing around animals around solar panels is the animals prevent grasses and weeds from growing over the panels, thus blocking light. Grazing is also one of the cheapest ways to manage the land beneath the solar array, with the recent study showing it cost $1.55 per kilowatt hour direct current per year to graze sheep at the solar site compared to $1.51 for turf grass, $1.75 for gravel, or $2.23 for native vegetation. Solar producers typically budget between $0.50 and fifty cents and $1.80 per kilowatt hour per, per year for vegetation management. The end result is not a manicured lawn like you would get with a bush hog, but you would get a typical grazed pasture look. And solar developers don't care as long as the weeds and the grasses don't grow above the bottom lip of that solar panel array. They're absolutely just fine with so they go on to talk a little bit about different ways that they can they can do this, right? This is becoming a huge issue uh, here in Ohio, Indiana, Michigan, um, where these solar developers are coming in. They're paying a lot of money for farmers to take prime farmland and basically say, "Hey, listen, we're going to put solar up on it, and you know you're going to be out this farmland." Now, there's been some interesting approaches, right? Like they talked about with you know grazing, with turf, with gravel wildflowers, things like that, like native vegetation, those approaches. But guys, I wanted to get your take on, you know, and like I said, you go through, I I drive through rural Ohio in all directions from Columbus a lot. We're in the center of the state. So I'm in, you know, the Northern part of the state, Southern part of the state, all over the place. And you see these signs everywhere of, you know, no solar on prime farmland. And you know, the stories I hear from farmers in these areas is that they're getting offered ridiculous sums of money, right? And part of it is is that there are farmers, and and you know the 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 solar farm folks know this, right? That they can go out to, you know, certain landowners instead of having to cobble cobble together, you know, five different plots that might have like twenty acres each to get hundred acres, they're going to the farmer that's got four or five hundred acres, right, in one plot, and they can take all that land and develop it all for solar. So it's a lot easier for them to do that in certain locations. So it's coming. It's becoming an issue here in the Midwest. I'm curious though. From a land management perspective, are you one, are you guys in favor of this in agricultural areas? And number two, if you had it just off the cuff, if you had to manage these sites, if somebody said, Matt, Ray, you guys got to figure out what the fuck you're going to put in between all these solar arrays. What would you guys do just off the cuff?
0: Ah, God, I don't even know. Ah, okay. That's why I like
2: asking hard questions. I know what I do. I make J, sure right? Brian. that the area around these solar arrays would be dirt 12 months out of the year. I am sorry, but when we're talking about solar arrays, we are talking about very delicate equipment. I'm talking about power cables, I'm talking about the glass panels i'm talking about the aluminum or steel support structures for these panels and the last thing i would want next to something that costly and that delicate would be 800 you know 800 to 1000 pound uh boyd which was by the way my grandfather's uh black and white bull you know ambling along and not realizing that he's a thousand pounds and can knock over you know full-grown trees if he turns the wrong way so i just foresee all manner of catastrophe but i can tell you that here's the argument is that we are taking land out of agricultural production because for one reason or another we are exporting that agricultural production to countries and locations with less regulatory oversight you see that's the bottom line that's why farmers don't uh, don't produce crops anymore or uh, or produce anymore because it's less onerous to say grow that crop in brazil or let china do it or let africa do it or let <laughs> South somewhere in south america do it for us but this is my question to everybody uh. rather than just protesting the end effect, or the end result, which is, which are the the growers selling out to the solar producers. Ask ourselves, why the fuck aren't these farmers growing food? Why not?
1: Well, that's the thing. Why aren't they? It, it's this. Why aren't they? Because they're caught in the middle of getting offered a check of generational wealth to give up all or some of their land, right? Or continue to grow food and there's a number of them yeah. not uh, not a critical not critical mass but there's a number of them that it's becoming to be an issue right so um mm-hmm. i don't know it's something to keep an eye on here it's a super local hyper local issue uh because i said it's not everywhere but where it's happening it's a big fucking deal like escanaba michigan who i mean i don't read the yeah news why escanaba, why can't but, why can't we focus this on non-arable land like why can't we do this in deserts? Well, <laughs> i had this question too about i don't know i don't know the answer to that question i'll be honest i don't i haven't researched it. i was just having this conversation with somebody in a rural area uh this past week and i said you know we, we talked about um you know with the uh, uh what the recent grants are going to come up for the conservation uh, areas right for usda why not those mm-hmm. areas right so instead of saying hey we're going to put this in the conservation program for usda and pay you money back from the government to not farm your land right and conserve this area Instead, guess what? We're going to hook you up with a solar supplier that's going to pay you one time, and you're just going to have a solar array on your ground now, right? So, I I don't know, Matt. Time's that's, up, that would it's be over. Inter- that would be an interesting I, question to learn
0: because you know, to it, it, in prime uh, uh, growing conditions, prime farmland, you know, now you're having to. It's the invasive species thing that has me like in my head trying to think like what what can you grow there that's going to help mitigate that, right? You can have all the sheep in there grazing that you want, but of course, they're going to pick around certain things they don't want, you know? And so uh, I, I just see it turning into a disaster. However, it is you choose to go about this if it's intended to be left alone and just let some animals come in and graze it. Right. Especially in prime growing regions, shift that to non prime growing regions like desert. And uh, where you don't have to worry about obstructions. You don't have to worry about invasive species. Maybe you get a snake that crawls up on it and uh, and bakes to death and, and everything's going to be A-OK. The world will continue on and no one will even know it's there because no one spends time there. It's bizarre to me. I don't, to be honest, I just don't like it. It, it makes me really uncomfortable. You know, Matt, this,
2: you know, I asked the same question here in Hawaii of, okay, why? are we building entire subdivisions in the part of the island that literally gets 20 inches or less of rain per year why are we doing that because in my logical and oversimplified brain I'm thinking that would be the place where yup you have your solar arrays on that land and you string a cable to the other side of the island where there's more than 20 inches of water per year as rain and you transmit the electricity to that part of the island and you use the rest for a large-scale desalination plant that's you know how my mind works anyway
1: but i'll, I'll... All I go back to in this is I just hear ringing in my ears every time I see this come up as an issue. I hear Matt Martin talking about biochar and the circular economy and in in green initiatives. And I'm not against green initiatives personally, but I I think there's a lot of sharks in the water there, and they give no fucks about any any of the platitudes that they try to stand on. And so anyway, without getting to editorial or whatever hey fuck yeah. these people go to goldsboro uh, north carolina and build a and build a uh solar farm out there in goldsboro be a good spot for it, don't uh, you think
0: yeah I, i'll give you i'll give you an address to put it in um <laughs> the uh i wanted to <laughs> highlight this here this is coming out of colorado state university it says new research shows practice from the past will be the key to future uh, soil carbon solutions and uh and I'll kind of run through it quickly here but you know it starts off saying that you know regenerative agriculture is going to be the future. Uh but as you get deeper into this it turns out no not as we hear uh regenerative agriculture uh defined because what happens is that uh soil as uh with with a growing medium on it has a finite amount of carbon that is going to sequester. So what they found is that with uh with cover cropping um uh, and tillage, uh, and, in and, and using that as kind of a, uh, uh, uh a, a, a method of maintaining fields. Uh, you can, uh, uh, reduce and then restore, reduce, then restore, reduce, then restore, uh, uh, soil organic carbon. Right. And so that turns out to be a more effective way of growing soil organic carbon. Now, uh if you want to read that study, I went ahead and linked it and you'll find it in the uh in the show notes and there's a, a couple things to highlight on that is um uh so one is that when we're talking about restoring soil organic carbon, uh there's been another new study that has come out that is differentiating between particulate organic carbon and then mineral associated organic carbon and uh and those being like subsets of Uh, soil organic carbon right and uh, some of those are actually having better improvements on long-term carbon storage than others Uh, and like for instance mineral associated organic carbon so if you think about that that would be something that's going to be more uh, of a fresh organic matter source right meaning um, that there still is a a a mineral content that can be released as it is uh, digested by the uh, soil microbiology versus a uh, particulate organic carbon which would be something that is uh, uh already uh digested to the point that it's not going to degrade any further uh therefore it's not really doing anything uh, except sitting there right and uh and that is going to have less impact on the soil's ability to store carbon so uh, anyway it starts to get real deep into the weeds here but uh the the point is is that you know when we see headlines like this, that, uh, you know, the, uh, uh, a method of the past is going to be the key to the future of soil carbon solutions. You, you, you gotta read a little deeper into the details on it because this is going to be the headline that you see on Joe Rogan or whoever else that says, why are we using pesticides? It doesn't make any sense. They're killing everybody. Fertilizers kill everything. And then when you actually look at this, Uh, you find out, actually, that's not the case at all that this is fighting for. In fact, it is not taking away uh, from uh, 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 fertility at all. (laughs) Uh, So, in fact, we would still be using fertility. We'd still be using uh, herbicides and pesticides. It's just we might be intercropping more often, or we might be increasing or decreasing from time to time no-till, right? So we may go three years of no-till and then one year of heavy tillage or medium tillage or light tillage. And and that would be the way to better manage uh, uh, consistent increasing levels of uh, uh, carbon sequestration back into our soils, right? So, uh, again, I just want to highlight out there that what you see is not always what you're getting. And then I went ahead and threw one more in there because so many people think that what I'm talking about is bullshit. Uh, and this is fast agricultural topsoil reformation after complete topsoil loss. And uh, effectively, what they looked at was just uh, complete and total topsoil removal. Uh, And then you had sand, right? And then how long did it take sand to turn into pure topsoil? What they found is that it only took 26 years until you had topsoil from just pure sterile sand. Uh, And the way to actually increase that was through mineral fertilization so conventional fertilization Ooh. was can I, actually can one of the, I, the oh, fastest okay, can I, can I... ways to bring that up no
1: go ahead that that's all i was going to say i'm going to well i'm going to tell you a trick okay so funny you say that okay so that's that's actually published research right i will give you uh something we do in practice right so if we mill off a field right so we take a phrase mower and mill off the top i don't know half or so inch three quarters of an inch of a sand-based mm-hmm. field That stuff will sit there. So it's just organic material, right? A little bit of organic material for maybe 3%, something like that, 4% tops, and then all sand. The rest of it's all sand. So high carbon, no nitrogen, very little nitrogen. You know what we do to that pile? Sit there and drop urea on it, mix it all together, and let it sit there for about six months. When you come back, that stuff tests fucking perfect as topsoil it's a it's a strange thing and if anybody has
0: a leaf litter pile in their backyard or something and it's taking up a monumental amount of space seriously go put a bag of urea on it and your mind will explode when you watch what happens in that pile uh so take one pile, put bag issue. of urea on it and then the other one and and leave it alone don't put anything on it and then watch what happens at, at various speeds and uh and you're you're going to come back to us and be like oh yeah that's right uh one of the things to highlight from it that i just i wanted to read out loud out here was that uh um uh, soil c content was low in non-fertilized soils. soil c content in fertilized soils was significantly higher so if you want higher c content in your soils uh actually applying mineral fertilizer was the way to increase that quickly as possible so uh there you go uh for the organic high horse but uh we will continue to point out the hypocrisy of it that you you know again one does not make uh, the other exclusively true or untrue right there is balance in everything in life there's multiple ways to get there and using things in conjunction rather than vilifying the other is uh is is oftentimes an incredible answer right and then there's published research around that too so anyway just wanted to highlight that that being said uh hey We've got a special episode today where we're just shitting all over the uh the, the sea sucker who called into our show on Thursday. So um who who else can we shit on because our egos are too big to uh, uh be contained in our respective uh, uh houses with this week's Joe Knows turf.
1: Can I ask you, are you Matt Matt, hopefully you're not afraid of he- of heights <laughs> at this point. Oh actually, I am f- afraid of he- No, we're gonna stomp all over this. I am afraid of heights. Keep going, Dumay. <laughs> I'd like you to climb up on this 20 uh, foot extension ladder and punch down with me for about the next 10 minutes. Can you do that for me? Sure. I can. I've got, I've got a pretty significant reach. I'm six foot four. I'm a
0: tall guy, right? I've got a good reach. I, I, I you do I've have those no... gorilla
1: like arms. I do You get long arms. I do. All right. All right. So listen, uh, tonight, uh, I want to, uh, first I want to preface this with something here. Uh, you know, there was a uh, a video that was taken down yesterday. I think it was Backwoods Lawn Care. And it was him talking about us with the uh, the Jeremy, the, the greener lawn video, right? And I just want to say that, listen, uh, regardless of what people think about what we say or what we do in this segment, the point is that it causes people at the very minimum to question what they're doing, right? And that's all we're trying to do, right? Is this the right thing? Is there a way for me to do better? And at the very best, they're implementing better and safer practices. And you know what? We'll do better. We've, we've committed ourselves. We're going to try and do better about saying what you should do and what you shouldn't do. Now, this one might not be quite down that road, but we'll see what we can do. We'll see if we can bring it home here to a take-home message that everybody can get behind and feel good about like we're ending a Disney movie because, listen, this show's all the way gay tonight, Brian all right now let's go ahead and play that video Jay Pink. up here in the mountains
4: now overall when i'm looking at the grass blades they appear to be brown or the tissue is just completely dead this could be from one of two things it can either be from lack of water i can think of a lot more or than that. we've had the grass die out from last season and over the winter it's just been decaying it could be that these mow clippings weren't mowed properly and the grass just lied down and died and did not decompose. Once the tissue dies. We what?
3: Are... What?
1: Just wait, listen, listen. I'm telling you, with whatever irregularities that you hear, I need you to wait because it will continue to get okay. better. Now, listen, for those okay. of you on our, uh, on our audio format, we're, we're visiting tonight with uh, a gentleman known as the Pestinlon Ginger. He's very well known to us. Uh, he was a subject of one of our gobblers here several months back when he tried to sell msm in an affiliate link in the comments of his video and subsequently took that down because well we really did shit all over him uh, for doing that now uh this video is entitled repair an ugly lawn using five easy steps Azy brown grass dead spots lawn fungus Underwatered." so this video came out within the last i don't know two three weeks something like that and uh If you don't know, the Pestin' Lawn is out in Utah, and uh, this video looks like it was shot sometime, probably in April, and then edited and put out here fairly recently. So we're going to look at what he's got going on here as he evaluates this lawn. So go ahead and roll that beautiful bean Aren't going to be able to revive it and make it green again, which means all of
4: this is going to need to be removed. Now, when we get into the tissue itself, some of it is gray which typically means that last year it died and it's just been sitting here for a long time. Now the ginger's been slaying lawns for about 20 years now and I've got some exciting news for you guys. I'm creating a space called the Lawn Masters Academy to help you at home be able to slay that lawn. The Lawn Masters Academy is designed to put a method to the madness of diagnosing your lawn. Just
0: real quick, Um, if anybody, out there would like to gift us a membership to this. I promise we will do it justice. Um, I'm just <laughs> just going to throw that out there. Uh, we will 100% do it justice, and uh, uh, yeah, that's all.
4: Lawn. Whether you're a beginner lawn care person or an expert, there's something for you. I'm hoping to have the academy up and launched in the next 30 days. If you want to get on the wait list, go to LawnMastersAcademy.com and put in your email address. Now, this is what I'm talking about when we talk.
1: I thought the I thought at my last DE&I training, they said, don't use the word master anymore. Eh, maybe again, you didn't get that. All right, play.
4: Talk about not mowing properly. It means the, the plugger was either in the mower and they were attempting to mulch or the bag was full and it was just kind listen, of spilling listen. out. Now, this listen. kind of material at our altitude, which I'm at about a mile high, just under a mile high where we're at, um, we don't have the same decomposition that you're going to get at sea level. So this grass what? cannot be left. <laughs> this I'm just kind of
3: walking along <laughs> and I'm. What?
0: What? Is that, is that a function of barometric pressure, uh, atmospheric ocean yeah. concentrations? Ray, listen,
1: I know Ray has talked about the ionosphere before because that's the only place besides uh, the Concorde. Auto is the only other person that goes there. But Ray, could you please tell me? with your science and physics background in what way Mm -hmm. and listen yes we are ripping on him because this is just it's it's a it's a statement that is either completely erroneous on purpose and he knows it or he's just trying to sound smart and listen it's okay to say hey listen like this shit didn't break down whatever 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 their mower Mm -hmm. sucks like that's probably more the answer than
2: yeah altitude yeah because Here's what I know about decomposition of organic matter is that it happens and it happens at the rate that it normally happens, irregardless of what altitude you're at on earth, exception to that is, see, this lawn is at the top of Mount Everest and there's permafrost on it 12 months out of the year. Then I can see decomposition not happening, but then Yeah, green boots is still there, so
0: you know, there's maybe an element of truth in altitude.
2: Yeah. If I'm seeing a place where it is otherwise warm enough to have normal grass and normal trees growing, I have to call nonsense on the concept that the altitude in that neighborhood in Utah is too high decomposition to occur i just have to because the oxygen concentration and mm-hmm. the co2 concentrations in that higher altitude is still within the physiological range where organic matter cycling will occur okay so right. there i said All i said right. my piece <laughs>
1: All right. J. pink, go to five minutes, 11 seconds for me, please. Slide it on over there. Don't slide it in. Bryden.
2: And at first it just looks
4: like blobby patches, right? But when you start looking at the awesome.
1: patterns, okay. Before we dive into what he's about to say here at any point with a customer, Matt, you've probably done. Tens of thousands of sight. This is Ray, probably thousands because you deal with more leaks. Have you ever said the, the words blobby patches in your lawn? Only when looking in the mirror. <laughs> Don't hate yourself, Matt. Love yourself. Oh, sorry. All right. All right, play Play the video.
4: When we I get on top of it, ago. we have a ring right there. And if you look at these, they all look like little horseshoes all connected every single one of them now these ring spots are commonly associated with a nasty disease called necrotic ring spot oh
1: okay he's 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 right this does look like nrs right it's a pretty Mm -hmm. classic year after look if you haven't done anything to repair it but now let him go into the why kyle
4: Necrotic ring spot we know causation is overstimulation with fertilizers such as urea and it's spreadable through lawn aeration and these neighborhoods I'm in are notorious for doing lawn aeration because we have so much clay in our soil that gets compacted over the winter time now necrotic ring spot demonstrates itself through the grass blades but it is not the disease in the grass it's a soil-borne disease so no matter if we just scrape all the dirt, or, dirt out or not, if proper care measures aren't taken, it's gonna come back. Next step is our water saturation test. Now, my favorite tool to use is an AMS soil probe. Pause. The so-
1: yeah, 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 yeah. So listen, listen, here's our No's turf for tonight, right? I'll listen, you know, um, this is a little bit of, you cast the bob out, you see what kind of bites you're gonna get in the first part of this video, but tonight's take home, right? is about necrotic ring spots, specifically on kentucky bluegrass which i'm uh, this is what he's on right now and in the other part too if you're if you're watching on youtube and you're seeing what the lawn looks like right here in this freeze frame right here and he's talking about uh desiccated plants and, and and things like that things that weren't watered correctly he is in a completely different climate than what we are here in the midwest but i will tell you that this is what kentucky bluegrass looks like coming out of winter okay you know it's it's gonna go dormant right it's going to have a, a straw colored texture and uh, color to it. So that's uh, all the stuff he's saying is just to scare you. That's or, or he just doesn't know. I don't, I don't know. I'm not sure what the correct answer is there. What I will tell you, though, is necrotic ring spot. OK, let's talk about this real quick. Ray, few things mm-hmm. I can tell you about necrotic ring spot. One, pH matters Okay, of your soil and using a good soil test to ascertain what your p- soil pH is because if it is above 7 there's a higher likelihood that you're going to see that disease right other thing that we know too ray really really interesting thing is that uh i think it's 54 parts per million is the critical value so soil manganese with a malic three extractant below 54 parts per million you have a higher incidence of necrotic ring spot right and summer patch in your yes. so these two that we see okay so mm-hmm. what he's saying about urea-based fertilizers enhancing that, I, I'm not so sure in the, in the aeration of spreading it, also not so sure. I would focus on best management practices, practices of this disease. Aeration can actually be a good tool because when we're spraying fungicide to prevent this disease, right, there's usually two apps of a strobularin. Mm-hmm. So azoxystrobin is, a, is the most common one you'll see used, right? Aeration can actually be a good tool, at least in some form or fashion because of the lawn Time's area up, that he's over. using is really only affecting maybe two to 3% of the soil surface. Right. You can use that though, as a tool to get the fungicide down into the root zone, which is really where it needs to be to prevent this disease. So I like he, he did what we've been, uh, so appropriately criticized for is he, you know, he said, Hey, it's got a necrotic ring spot. You should do something about that. But he doesn't say what the hell to do. Right. So manage strategies, pH number one. Uh, soil and manganese, number two, those are two cultural things that you can do. If you're going to spray for it, you got to spray early. You got to spray um, when your soil temperatures are getting up in that 60 to 65 degree range at a two inch depth. You're going to make one app, and then you're going to make a second app 28 days after that. And you've got to irrigate that down into the soil so it can get in there and any means that you can do to help that get in there. So, whether that's through a wetting agent of some type or potentially also using aeration as a tool to do that. So, Longinja five steps are good but if you don't tell us what the hell to do and how to fix it eh, I don't know brother all right i don't know
0: <laughs> hang on sure just there's... real quick on the clay comment and compaction coming out of winter forgive me if i'm wrong but uh is uh are freezing and thawing cycles not one of the most beneficial things to uh you know uh help with that or did i yeah. did i completely mess yeah, uh, up as,
1: as far as as far as like fracturing the soil mhm Yes, yeah. yes. You so know the, like, the, the so nato- theoretically coming out of winter, yeah. that would
0: be like mm-hmm. that would be uh, the, the, the 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 greatest moment of soil verification you're probably going to experience all year. Hundred mm-hmm. yeah. percent. Okay. Just curious because I well, was taught in, the in, opposite especially- in that video and it kind of contradicted everything that I've previously been taught and can, can I tell I can I
1: tell you what your problem is? Yes. I'd like to diagnose your problem right now. Mm-hmm. Clearly, you haven't signed up for uh, Lawn Master Academy. Like
0: oh, I actually posted in the in the Discord. I did. I already did sign up. Um, I'm <laughs> I'm looking for the early bird discount. Uh, what What else? Are we Are we done here? We're we gonna keep going.
1: No, that's that, no, that's it. That's it. So, thank okay. Ginja. Let's blow okay. him a kiss. Let's say good night. Uh, uh, hide your kids. Um, all right, let's check <laughs> out this week's uh, burns. <laughs> SerialDomesticAbuser <laughs> dot and there—that's not the kind of breakfast cereal. I'm talking, S E R I L DomesticAbuser.com. Uh yeah. Yeah. you that think that? Uh... that no, oh, I'm sorry. You can, yeah, you yeah, can okay. slip it in there. Um, Sheila has domestically abused people before. She seems like it. Yeah. You know that she rear Ray and ruined his Greensmower once. <laughs> that bitch. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man,
0: just... Uh, yeah, that was after he notes. broke up with her. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I was exactly. going to say a couple notes on the burns here. Uh, fertilizer prices are going back up. Um, yeah. What what we see here is uh, we're getting a little bit of an uptick and where we have seen some cooling off. Now, I, look are we going to continue to see the the input commodities climb i don't know i don't think so i don't think it's going to be anything insane and there's a couple of reasons why uh first off uh china has missed their mark on u.s purchases by a metric mile right now and uh where normally you know they are hauling in grain just by the the uh by the vessel just left and right, left and right, huge orders. And uh, and then, of course, we get a few surprise tender orders out of India. Uh, that, which has transpired over the last five years, has just basically gone away. It's gone to zero. And uh, what has happened is that they've gone to Brazil and started buying from Brazil. And a lot of reasons why is that we had a really bad year for wheat, right? Real, real bad wheat harvest. Uh, Brazil and uh, many regions of South America had really large... Uh, wheat harvest. In fact, some, some record uh, grain harvests were, were going on out of there. And I know, I believe it was the uh, um, their second corn crop came in really good, too. So uh, in, anyway, uh, China just, you know, making their business decisions that they have to make with, uh, where we were expected to have all that bought here. Uh, And then, of course, we were overgrowing uh, a lot of grain for a couple of reasons. Like, for instance, we thought we were going to uh, have uh, uh, biofuel for airplanes coming online. And unfortunately, that's at about 300 percent high uh, on the on the dollar mark there. So that really didn't catch wind and uh so the corn that we were going for that and uh and of course our our other, other grains that we grow have been uh shifted away to south america has left people with a lot of acres and no place to put it right so and a, and a lot of a lot of harvested uh, uh uh commodity contracts that are not being filled and so it's like boy uh what do we do and you know the hmm. whole supply versus demand thing you got an excess supply and you've got very, 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 very little demand. It's gonna fall. now there's some why we're probably going to see a little bit of an uptick here's that, I don't know if you saw the news out of Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia said, uh, yeah, we're gonna slash production again since we've got summer coming up, everybody loves to drive during the summer. and uh, we've got inflation prices, so people probably aren't going to be flying a whole lot. Uh, and even if they do, we'll catch them there too. so we're gonna we're gonna cut production. Ah, just to eke out as much as we can, and uh, good luck.
1: And uh, <laughs> and of course,
0: you know, you're going to see uh, fertilizer prices move somewhat in line with uh, with oil prices. So, I, not shocking to see a little bit of an uptick here. Are we are we going to be running up to uh, you know $1,100 a ton urea commodity? Probably not. Uh, I see prices all over the United States on urea right now from you know bagged uh, urea for uh a turf uh tno ranging anywhere from 18 dollars a bag to uh 30 a bag 33 dollars a bag in some areas in the midwest right now still seeing and uh and you know it it is what it is but again are we gonna are we gonna climb up there to 1100 where you're gonna be paying 45 50 a bag for urea no you're not you probably still will be on uh um a higher uh, cash value commodities so like sulfate of potash still going to be incredibly incredibly expensive uh, because potash prices are still at monumental monumental uh record record highs right now and uh and and because of that i say record highs compared over over the last five years yes they are at uh record highs um uh phosphates are still really expensive uh in in that vein as well Uh, you know just just a few years ago we were buying potash at 270 250 a ton And, you know, we're still cranking in right now, seven, $800 a ton all day long. And then, you know, you've got for like sulfate of potash, you've got commodity plus premium, right? And so uh, you're likely not getting sulfate of potash in for anything cheaper than, uh, you know, probably somewhere close to uh, 1,500, 18, maybe even $2,000 a ton right now. So uh, again, nothing to really get uh, freaked out and alarmed about, but, uh, you know, just uh, with with the natural ebbs and flows and some of the geopolitical uh, pawn uh, chess movements that are taking place right now, you know, it, it is what it is. And uh, so, there, there you go. That's my intake on it. Y'all, have, have y'all heard, seen, or witnessed anything to the contrary that leads you to believe that uh, it's about to go off the charts again? I, I haven't seen it. Uh, I think
2: what I do see is that uh, our fertilizers are at the pandemic and war prices and I don't see them coming down anytime soon. There's you know, they go up and they don't come back down. That that's what I'm seeing because uh I'm looking at something like forty six zero zero Matt, non stabilized forty six zero zero, that's over fifty dollars a bag where I'm at
0: yeah and I, I think a lot of that is the transport cost for you right because fuel prices are still freaking high and uh and where i've seen a lot of transport costs go down uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to turn something from a really high commodity into a really cheap commodity right so we've seen softening on the commodity prices but if you're still having to transport or truck it like for instance i'll give you an example of transport costs, right? Like. Uh I, I don't know what the mileage is. In fact, uh oh, let me let me look this up right here. Uh Nashville, Tennessee to uh we'll say uh what's a what's a city in Oklahoma? Uh you're 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 muted, by the way, Demay. Um uh we'll say uh Nor- Norman, Oklahoma. You're right right there near Oklahoma City, right? That's that's six hundred eighty two. Yeah, Norman
2: miles. Oklahoma. Yeah.
0: Okay. Now what's crazy is that that's only six hundred and eighty-two miles, right? Normally you know, we'll say we'll say that's going to cost you eighteen hundred dollars for a full truckload into Oklahoma because that's not a busy lane like shipping into Nebraska is not a busy lane from where we are uh, that that truckload right now is thirty five hundred four thousand dollars all day long. So where that's anywhere else, if it went north or south of me, six hundred eighty two miles, no problem. You know, but that's a, that's a, a $1,500, 1800 truckload all day long going west with it. Now, all of a sudden it's, it's, uh, it's, it's th- three, three grand, you know, $3,500. What's crazy is that you could even send it to Iowa cheaper than you can into Oklahoma and Nebraska right now. doesn't make any sense. It is what it is. And, uh, and that's why you're going to see like NOLA, um uh, Urea, right? So, uh, New Orleans, Louisiana out of the, out of the Gulf right there. Which is where a lot of our uh, commodity urea is going to come from. Uh, in one place, say like in Atlanta, Georgia, maybe eighteen dollars a bag. Versus in Oak City, all of a sudden is going to be thirty-two dollars a bag, and uh, and a lot of that has to do with just your tonnage of transport cost. Man, you know, putting on rail right now is uh, still under a little bit of pressure when uh you know they were uh, poised to strike and uh, uh the our most union friendly president of all time stepped in and said, "Well, we're not going to let you do that." Uh, right driver in that isn't that what he did, just want to point out, yep. you know, that uh, both both sides f- fuck around and find out with that bull- bullshit game there anyway. So, it is mm-hmm. what it is. Mm. <laughs>
1: you got any input on that, so- May?
0: I talked a lot, I'm sorry.
1: No, the only thing I was going to say just from a tactical level that I'm seeing or that I would uh, tell our listeners to consider is it, it might not be time yet. But by August, September, there's going to be some long inventory sitting in warehouses all over the place at turf supply houses of fertilizer that was purchased sometime between the end of 2020 all the way up through sometime last year that hasn't sold. And it might be like six bags here. It could be 60 bags. It could be 600 bags. Right. But I would start having conversations with your sales reps and saying, Hey, tell me about your long inventory list. What do you got sitting in there? What do you want to make a deal on? Right. And I'm telling you, especially as it gets towards inventory time at the end of the year, some of these guys and gals will be willing to make a deal just to get something off their floor, just to get the fuck out of there. Even if they have to take a loss out or sell it at their cost. Right. So. Consider that, right? And it might not be the stuff you want, but it might be stuff you could make work, right? And use it at a better price than maybe what you thought you were going to use. So just think about that and take it under advisement. I always love, Matt, right? It's one of my favorite things to do is to ask everybody for their scratch and dent list. Hey, they love you know they what? I love to make deals. My they refrigerator. To deals.
0: <laughs>
3: so, you know what? Uh, Cans without a label. Ryan. Yeah,
2: I, I do that all the time. In fact, it goes the other way around in that my vendors ask me, hey, Ray, can you use this stuff? Uh, and it's often prefaced with the uh, line, I'm asking you because I don't fucking trust any of the other yo-yos out there with it. <laughs> okay? That, that I've literally been told that a number of times when they're about to hand off some long inventory or other product to me they say Ray, uh i'm giving it to you because i don't fucking trust anybody else with it period (laughs) i mean they're gonna find a million and one ways to f it up so they rather give it to somebody that knows what it is and can read and follow instructions for example
0: without a doubt uh our other burn here is uh you know we we got a wastewater treatment facility and a big ass wind turbine on it and uh turns out it went a little bit out of control uh a broke <laughs> turbine uh was set free spinning by strong winds uh, this oh, is out shit. on Deer Island and it was spotted around 10 a.m. by someone walking through the public access area near Deer Island wastewater treatment plant. The person noticed the turbine was spinning quickly and had something dangling from one of its blades. Uh, they called 911 <laughs> and emergency workers got out there and uh, it had been out of service since April 2022. <laughs> the Jeez. damn thing has been out of service for over a year. Lord have Oops. mercy. How many turbines do we have out there that are just non-functioning? They're spinning, but they ain't doing shit. Although it's too soon to speculate on what happened, it appears that this morning strong winds broke the braking mechanism and the turbine uh, began to free spin. Uh, The contractor was called to fix the 600-kilowatt turbine, which stands 100 feet tall. Uh, By 3.30 Monday, the turbine was successfully stopped and locked back into place. Uh, They kept it closed just out of an abundance of caution. And uh, there you go. Um, you know, what, what happens when a solar panel, when it's supposed to stop feeding energy into a battery, uh, uh, all of a sudden that, uh, overcurrent protection just stops. And then all of a sudden you continue pumping energy to an already full battery. What, what, what is, what does one of those lithium ion fires look like? Oh, you know, nothing to worry about. You just put a little water on it and it goes out quickly. Right. No, it doesn't. So, uh, it don't, (laughs) yeah. Anyway, we'll check out this week's returns. uh Deme, how about you take this one with penetrants versus retainers understanding wedding agent claims and the science behind them
1: yeah this is an interesting uh a little bit of a summarization of uh research that was done at the university of arkansas here a guy named daniel o'brien and uh so this is at the usga green section record which uh you can subscribe to i think it's a really really good uh useful tool for research and things that are coming out right now, uh, mostly in golf, but there's a lot of things that uh, kind of cross over here and we're going to talk about those here. So the key takeaways in this article. So there are no established standards between what defines a quote unquote penetrant or a retainer wetting agent and each manufacturer can apply those labels to whichever products they choose. Hmm, that sounds familiar. Uh, research on sand-based putting greens found no significant differences in volumetric water content between the penetrant and the retainer wetting agents. At the active ingredient level, wedding agents demonstrated the ability to function as both a penetrant and a retainer in response to changes in environmental conditions. Expectations for how a wedding agent will function should be based on data and experience, not marketing terminology. <laughs> Site-specific factors such as weather conditions, cultural management practices, and organic matter content play an important role in wedding agent performance and need to be considered to maximize the effectiveness of any product. So Uh, jpink slide down here to figure what is this figure two okay figure two and so gentlemen here's what you did up next one next one keep going keep going deeper deeper brian deeper yes yes oh (laughs) that's it oh god damn near hit my pancreas all right um Mm -hmm. okay so (laughs) can't say pancreas well <laughs> for, <laughs> for, for, for those of you that don't know uh, in brian's world the pancreas is an erogenous zone so f- saying all right fuck <laughs> you <laughs> <laughs> all right so here's what they did gentlemen is they took uh these different wedding agents you'll see these in the top right hand corner of the graph uh that are described by the companies that sell them as either penetrants or retainers right and you'll see the different markings there on the graph. And then from there, what they did is that they took, uh, basically in the three by five replicated trial plots that they had, they were taking uh, TDR samples. So the TDR is a device that measures volumetric water content, right? So you stick it in the ground at at a specific depth, right? And it's got rods that attach to it that go down to said depth, and will give you a percentage of that volume of soil that is actually water, right? So what we should see here, right. According to the marketing material is that we should see water deeper with the penetrants and probably closer to the top with the retainers. But as you sit there and look across all these, right. Uh, the groupings are pretty similar, right from a, a statistical standpoint. So again, I, the thing I wanted to highlight here is that, uh, number one, there's a lot of marketing out there that suggests that hey there's and matt we can talk about this because matt's at the product level and he understands this and sees this and ray has seen and heard a lot of fucking pitches in his day about the next latest and greatest product but uh from a tactical standpoint just use wedding agents as wedding agents and figure out which one works for you and i can tell you from experience anecdotal at best is that what works at one place in one site may not work the exact same in another site, especially on native soil. The mm-hmm. thing to take with the grain of salt here is that this is all done in sand-based greens. And there's a lot of, uh, uh, I guess, uh, conflation of data, right. That, that says that they do or don't work on native soil. But the point of this matter is, and the one thing I want to bring up is that when they all behave the same, so just work with one and try and see if it works for you. And if it doesn't move on to the next one. But the second thing is is the narrative behind products guys and matt shit, you just made a video on this last week the narrative behind products how much of that sells versus the actual data and what research tells us or what science in general tells us about these products and more moreover to the point that okay hey science is never finished right it's always going to continue to get better but we're not seeing any conclusivity in data in terms of some of the things that are being spouted off upon Especially in the lawn care space about hey these work for sure because they work that's uh it's a dangerous uh, spot to go now you gotta have a narrative is, and behind I, the if, product itself
0: it's 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 hilarious because like for instance and i i i promise i'm not shooting on um uh floor team. i i would say floor has probably one of the most well-known in, in the golf space well-known like how many how many people do you know that are superintendents that buy uh uh fourteen because it of its reputation a lot a, a lot. lot and mm-hmm. for instance when we look at the retainers here right and we're, we're looking at the trial versus penetrance versus retainers and we have an untreated control check here retain was undoubtedly as as bad it it was it was worse than doing nothing it literally was worse than doing nothing and this is the most i i would say well-known uh trusted uh uh uh, manufacturer that's out there and it is bonkers to see that kind of result from it i'm not gonna lie like i'm actually it almost nauseates me. Uh, then the other thing that we go down and we see is, uh, they, they do this 2021 wedding active ingredient trial and in the, uh, Polo, polo, polo uh, category, which is basically just a, a co-block polymer, uh, a, a testing between those. And you know, the we've, we've got a limited number of active ingredients that are primarily used. Right. And, and what's, what's, I would say it has the 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 highest degree of accepted efficacy would be would be block polymers in uh in different forms and factions right and so they mm-hmm. tested a bunch of them and you can see that there is some variability between them uh, the commercial standard which would be revolution by aquatrols uh uh is, is you know like a standard go to good one right like you know I, I don't think there's anybody that would say revolution is a bad wedding agent it is the, the data that I've seen from them is all uh, inherently good right and uh, it may not be great, it can cause some phytotoxicity issues uh, if if applied at the wrong time or the wrong rate, uh, or even if you do nothing wrong at all, uh, just due to the nature of of applying um, uh, these types of surfactants, right, that it just can cause some phytotoxicity issues. Um, it, then, you know, so it's it's not perfect by any stretch of means of the imagination, but using that as a standard and then comparing off of it, you know, it's like, yeah, we're seeing some Mildly statistically significant uh, improvement. However, like you may have a one-off that is actually doing quite significantly well, at least for a duration of the year, as compared to it, right? And I think I think uh, the, the the large part of this is that there's so much right now in the space of wedding agents that is fucking unknown. Here they test block copolymers, but there's also non ionic surfactants. There's uh there's variations of block co- uh, uh block polymers and this is where you're talking about the uh hydrophile to hydrophobe ratio and yeah. um and then you know w- and what they didn't look at here is like well what if you combine uh different ones right what if you're combining penetrants and retainers what if you're combining block polymers with non-ionics uh what if you're using block polymers and versus block copolymers uh and and a lot of that starts to elicit different responses too. And I want to couple that back to exactly what you said, Debay, is that uh, w- without a doubt, for the most part, <laughs> and I'm shocked that you know really this shook everything I was going to say about it. Thank you, Florine, for fucking up my my words on this. But for the most part, uh, I uh, you know it's it's accepted that wedding agents are going to be effective in some form or fashion and it's then dialing in which one is going to work specific for your scenario. Um, and, and again, other things can be done with this, right? You can add acids to it. If you have high carbonate soils, uh, you know, you may have a buffering agent, you know, maybe a high pH, uh, power for a low, Uh, 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 a high acidity soil, right? And uh, and there's just so many different things we can do with it that it it comes down to you investing the time and research into it to figure out which one works for you. We can just use as the commercial standard, like in this instance, as a control, is that, yes, they're effective. However, that means now the real work begins of testing, spending the money, trialing in your own form or fashion with control plots to figure out which one is actually the most efficacious for you
1: and and that's that's the thing i think the the biggest thing i can tell you to to figure out what works and what doesn't is uh (laughs) as far as what you're picking i think that this study you know maybe five or so years ago ten years ago you might have been like well i don't know what i pick a retainer a penetrant what do i need i have clay soil so i'm going to pick a penetrant and that's going to help me get water down in there all this other stuff right and i think there's a little bit of validity in certain ways that those behave but you need to be careful so uh the bottom line like i this. have
0: used i have used a penetrant before and it, uh and i let me tell you i could not keep the surface wet at all to save my life not at all not at all it, could not keep it wet to save my life sand base grown medium up, it's over and, you know, it, like to the point that it caused way more problems than it solved any problem at all whatsoever. Like it was a disaster. It was a fucking disaster of of a problem. Right. So, again, this isn't the end all be all. This is the starting point for you to start figuring out what works and what doesn't. Because you may think you need a penetrant, but then you just created a whole host of fuck you problems. Yep. Or it doesn't I, matter. I, because or it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't do anything. <laughs>
2: Yeah, or or in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't make that much of a difference other than a small reduction in soil surface tension, uh, reduction of runoff or roll-off, and in fact, ability of your water to penetrate into the thatch layer and then actually get into the grass. So, but, Ryan, you are right. I've heard of all kinds of wild claims and the one that caught my attention and I immediately called bullshit on is I had somebody trying to sell me Lesko moisture manager at one point in time.
1: Oh man, that's, <laughs> that's, that's hydrogen. That's,
2: that's their, version yeah, but, of but anyway, uh, you know what my answer to them was?
1: Suck on my balls. Oh, I, I don't know. I could see Ray saying that in a business meeting.
2: No, I told them, you know what? Uh, piss off. I'd rather put the time and money into optimizing the irrigation system.
1: Truth. No, You're going to get a lot more. Ga- I'll, ga- yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: I'll say this that I have done large seeding jobs with it and had mm-hmm. degrees of success with it too. So, you know, I. I I don't i
1: don't want to take this as an opportunity to just shit on every fucking wedding agent no That's it's it. not
2: it's no no
1: no it's no. not no it, it, i think the point here is a couple of things uh one that they behave very similarly regardless of how they're marketed number one number two mm-hmm. that in a sand based system they're all pretty even right in terms of how they perform right at different and varying depths right of of the moisture of the profile right Moreover, though, in native soil, I think what you're going to find is greater degrees of variability in terms of how they perform and what might work for, you know, Aldo in in, in Southern California might not work for Kenny Cooper in uh, suburban Chicago, right? And so those are the things that you have to figure out uh, and find out on your own. And the way to do that is to spray those and then leave yourself a check plot, right? Leave an untreated check and see what the difference is. And the other thing too, the last thing I'll say is this, is that people say, oh, it's gonna reduce water, and it's gonna do this, all it's gonna do, right? And especially in a native soil, is even out your dry down, right? So that your dry spots, and you're gonna have dry spots, are going to dry down a little more slowly than they would have otherwise, right? And making things a little bit more even in terms of how they look in terms of moisture stress. So take that for what it's worth uh, and yeah. Uh, An Oxford company is uh,
0: uh, aiming to cut carbon by using what to build homes? Because the last time I Googled this, uh, anytime you Google lawns in America, it's colonialism, it's racist. (laughs) uh, uh, You're destroying the environment. You're destroying uh, lives. uh, You're starving uh, people in Sri Lanka because of it. And, And it turns out it was all a bunch of bullshit designed to make whoever wants to buy into it, buy into it and get angry and point at people like us and say, and you know, and some master gardener in North Carolina is going to call in and, uh, use a couple of homophobic slurs so they can report our video and attempt to get us kicked off of uh, YouTube, right? Brian Whalen. Uh, that's exactly what you did. You piece of shit. Um, anyway, here, and this company Planted is taking aim at the construction of building materials industry by building homes out of grass. They're building these panels uh, made of grass rather than wood, and uh, their first project here is conver- converting an old tobacco facility into an 80,000 square foot uh, commercial scale production line uh, using uh, this, uh, this, this, you know, these grass-growing panels here, and they're going to capture the carbon. Uh, in, into these panels, right? Because of photosynthesis and all that fun stuff. And the whole reason you can read it here and, and take a look at it. it's written with a bunch of puns and it's not funny at all, but you know, good, good on them for attempting it, I guess. Um, but again, I just want to point out here that, uh, you know, in, in when when it fits the narrative of finding a boogeyman to point and shit on they'll use grass as an excuse when it, when it fits the narrative of being the, the greatest thing that's happened is going to save the planet. Then they'll point at grass and then say it's fertilizer and pesticides that are killing people. And then when they can't do that, I don't know where they'll go for, go for next. Um, you know, they'll, they'll start, you know, saying that, well, eating meat is what's killing people or whatever else, you know, it's all, it's all designed to scare us and, uh, and shit on us. And, uh, and, and anyway, just remember everything that you read out there. There's a, there's an, uh, uh, an alternative side to it. You know, it was like, my dad always told me, you know, there's, there's, uh, my story, there's your story. And the truth is somewhere in the middle. And yeah. uh, this is another example of it. And, uh, and, and fuck everyone who wants to point at the, the grass jockeys and say, we're assholes who you need to be pointing at is pointing at Brian Whalen, the master gardener, uh piece of fucking shit in, uh, in North Carolina and, uh, and, and yeah leave leave us
1: alone all right listen all right so uh Pink, do we have any mail you've got mail we we fucking do is wasn't that the greatest thing ever you 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 dial in the modem you'd hear all that shit you know from the modem then boom
3: yeah (laughs)
1: That was actually the uh, sound of the naked old man that was trying to pay you that one time. That was not, it was, modem, that but, was, yeah. that was the sound of his, uh,
0: <laughs> his gout his, in his, in his <laughs> elbow Jesus as he Christ! was furiously going after himself. Um, oh dear. We, Jesus we, have, we have,
1: that was Evie, hard.
0: <laughs> who wrote in and said, uh, what would God. what would a watering schedule look like with MP rotators or similar system that put puts out point four inches per hour precipitation rates? <laughs> uh, how many days a week and for how long? Or alternatively, how much ET
1: replacement? Cool season. Oh,
3: Let's
0: oh. Right. <laughs> well,
1: you want to go first, Ray, or you want me to go first?
2: Okay. What I normally suggest that people do with an MP rotator type system is plan. On making that irrigation system, depending on your soil type now. If you have a more loamy, silty, more clay type soil, you can consider dropping down about a half an inch of water total per irrigation event and seeing how long that takes you before you dry down again and you see signs of water stress or wilt. If somebody's on more sand based soil or more gravelly soil, then I suggest they go to as little as one third to one quarter of an inch of water per irrigation event and time that accordingly. And on a more sandy soil, I see irrigation as often as every other day. But Ooh. on a more finely textured soil, less gravel, less sand in it, then I'm thinking I try to apply enough water every four to four to three days, and that's just a general, off the top of my head, so I don't fry anybody's lawn type of type of a thing. Uh, I, I'm I sure. Oh, I'm sure Ryan DeMay has a more uh you know precise research backed answer. <laughs>
1: no bullshit, right? I mean, listen, <laughs> I just actually did an hour long podcast with uh Tyler Carr from Ohio State on this particular topic. Um uh, mm-hmm. it'll come out here sometime this week and uh, the time we have right now is not nearly enough to go through this answer, but I will say very succinctly uh that What you just said, I I think is on point. I think the determination of how much water you put down should be based on some type of factor. So at the very basic level is just visual, right? So if Mm -hmm. I see, you know, I'm going to irrigate to a certain level, right? So if he knows that it's a 0.4 inch per hour uh, Mm -hmm. uh, precipitation rate, go ahead and irrigate for an hour and then watch it dry down. See how long it takes until you induce wilt. And understand that that's going to be predicated by ambient air temperature it's going to be predicated by wind it's going to be uh, predicated by uh solar energy right and it's also going to be predicated by relative humidity so think about those four factors how they interplay and i don't have time to talk about how they do and why they do but take that all into account and then if you want to use et those are the four factors that go into et so uh if you want to use a more Quantifiable metric, which ET or which Evie is a uh he's a finance guy, he's a numbers guy. So if you want to use ET as a reference, right, if you replace somewhere between 60 and 80 percent, and I'm not gonna tell you hard and fast that it needs to be 60 or it needs to be 80, but somewhere between 60 80 percent, you're gonna have a pretty good lawn. Uh, you do not need to replace ET one for one. So again, we could do a whole show on this. It's a really, really interesting topic. Inputs, outputs of a system of turf grass, and that. Every system is not the same. So all that being said, if you run it for an hour, go look at it three or four days later, see how bad it looks. And if it's getting dry, well, you know how to make it wet again.
2: Absolutely.
1: Hmm. <laughs> uh, with that said, we are going to call this episode uh, to an end. We were going oh, to wait, go wait, 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 wait. Oh, wait, 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 wait. I want to give I want to give a toast real quick. Listen. Oh, okay. As we, as we end, as we end the show here, I just want to say it was nice to spend time with all of our friends here. It was nice to get, have uh, people here that are of like mind, not necessarily agreeing on everything, right? But of like mind sure. that they want to pursue turf grass. And that's what they're here for. Not to sit there and spew epithets, not to sit there and, and, and spew their hate and everything like that. So listen, Brian, Brian Whalen, Goldsboro, buddy. Oh, let me turn it. <laughs> I love you, motherfucker. Kiss my fucking ass and go fuck yourself. Bye. Individual liberty is a
0: fucking gift, you cock-sucking piece of shit. Fuck you. This guy's a fucking weirdo. Yeah!